Welcome to Church Unscripted this week. We're excited you're here with us. If you have not subscribed, we're on all podcasting platforms. Subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit the notification bell so you know when the new episodes come up. Um, And then you can join with us and watch together, maybe start a watch party or something like that where you can watch with your friends. Uh, I am excited. I'm here with Eric, Pastor Eric, and then Pastor David. Um, And we just started a series on Colossians last week. This week... Eric, you preached and you didn't even get to Colossians till halfway through the sermon. And still you preach more about Colossians like than I've heard in a long time. It was great. So, so can you, can you kind of summarize kind of some of the, the, the thoughts, the ideas, the stuff that you shared um, in the sermon? We really, well, we really dug into why Paul wrote the letter to the Colossian church. Mm-hmm. And it was a reaction to what was happening in the Colossian church after the planting pastor kind of took off to go plant elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, these other leaders were coming in preaching a different gospel that pretty much said Jesus isn't enough for our salvation. And so they were preaching that even though Jesus is helpful, we have to really add to what he did uh, for us for our salvation. So we've got to make sure we have enough religious behavior, good works and those kind of things. So that hopefully if we have enough of those added up, whenever we leave this world, what we offer plus what Jesus did will be enough to tip the scales of heaven in our favor. Mm -hmm. And then God will say, all right, that's enough, come on in. And so it really created a, a culture of fear, a culture of spiritual insecurity and so it was a philosophy of Jesus plus works equals mm-hmm. what you need, everything. Um, what, then, what was the equation you used yeah, though? Jesus right. plus works equals everything. Okay, right. Jesus plus works, right. okay, okay. Uh, but then Paul writes the letter to counteract that and his philosophy is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's why we preach Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace we are saved through faith. And this is not of your doing, it's the gift of God. Um, and the reason that he brings this up, the reason that he is so insistent on this theology is because he's very aware of, of the false teachers and the false teaching that he says at the very end of the passage will delude them by fine sounding arguments. And the problem is we as humans can be, uh, can what's the weird, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, we can be easily persuaded, mm-hmm. uh, especially if the person speaking is really good with language. And so it was a challenge to not just know Jesus so well uh, for your salvation, but it's to know him so well that you're anchored enough in him that you can spot the counterfeit truth, the counterfeit teaching when it comes Hmm. and then have enough strength to say no to it so that your faith can be firm and established. And I think that was the thrust of the passage we talked about this last week. So so there's there's a lot of things that you touched a little even deeper than what you just summarized. So I'm yeah. going to ask some questions that are more general and then maybe we can yeah, let's go. focus in. Yeah. So, so how do we differentiate? Because you're talking about a church that was had some cultural practices that were not the gospel. Okay. How do we differentiate from those cultural adaptation of those church practices and maybe diluting the core Christian message? Because they were diluting the message. So how do we stop from diluting that message? Mm. Like in the church? Oh man, that's a really, well, you've got to be so tuned in to what to what the foundational truths of Christianity are. And so that's, that's really what the value of a, well, not the only value, uh, but that is really a major purpose behind an elder board of a church. It's they're there to protect the theology and doctrine mm-hmm. of the church so that you know false teaching, whether it's intentional or, or unintentional, doesn't in a sense weasel its way into the life of the church mm-hmm. and then transform the culture. And so I think you can spot that over time with certain church behaviors and patterns. And so if there's a shame culture of, you know, you haven't done this, this, or this that we define as religious behavior over a period of time, then now your salvation is suspect. If you sin so badly that 
that it's so grievous mm -hmm. that now God's so mad at you, now your salvation is at risk. So I think the way that you can spot if some Jesus plus works equals everything philosophy has creeped into your church is if there's certain behaviors and patterns that reflect that. So I don't know how to really start doing that, but I think that over time you can spot those things. So, so let's speak practically. Yeah. So in your home, how do you not dilute the gospel with your kids, with your spouse, with your family members, with your extended family. So how, how do we practically do that? Maybe David, you got some ideas. He, he just keeps looking over here. Like, yeah. I just thought, yeah. Hey, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> You know, I think it, it is important to know the word. I think in, in our culture, it's easy to find the, the book about Colossians or the sermon about Colossians. And we can just kind of take those, somebody else's digested, you know, for lack of a better, digested meat. Uh, and we can eat that kind of, instead of going to the source, mm -hmm. like eating the meat ourselves. And so I think it's important for us as parents, as as especially in a parenting uh, spouse role, um, know the word and then dive deeper in that, have that in front of our families, in front of our extended family. I think that's super critical because a lot of what we determine is valuable is based off of, like we live in a review culture. So like I'm gonna go to a restaurant based off of what somebody else says. And until I taste it myself, I can't actually leave a review. I don't actually understand the food. And so that's the same thing with the gospel. I think it, that that's really important. Absolutely. I like to think of it as micro discipleship opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so it's when we're watching a, a TV show or a movie uh, and there's a scene in there that it, it's a, it creates a good opportunity for you to digest gospel into their life. And so if there's a scary scene or if there's something that's inappropriate that you see, now you get to take that opportunity and say, you know, what does Jesus think about that? Um, if there's a scary scene or like a monster in a cartoon, you can say, you know, is, is Jesus bigger than that monster? And so I think it's these micro discipleship mm -hmm. opportunities. And you can do that with discipline too. Like when your kids are going at each other, uh, when they're, when the fights, now, I know they never break out in your home. I think we're all starting to start laughing. <laughs> uh, but when they sometimes break out in my home, then it's an opportunity to to show them the heart and mind of Jesus. And so hopefully over the years, as they grow up, that culture will be so uh, digested into their life that they'll have protection now that when they're independent, they can see the world around them and spot the counterfeit. That's why one mm -hmm. of my take-homes was be able to become conscious of the counterfeits. And that's what the secret service does is they study the real dollar so well, so that when the counterfeit comes across their desk, they're like, that doesn't look like truth. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's what we're training our kids to do. So, and, and a huge part of that is we have to know the word ourselves. I, I love that part of the sermon. So mm -hmm. that the fact that you were talking about the application of that is we can't know what's counterfeit unless we know the truth. Right, yeah. And so sometimes we come in and our food's chewed for us. I hate to say this, but Eric, you chewed the food before we received it as the sermon, right? Yeah. I mean, in a way. Yeah, weird analogy, but I'm, I'm tracking. I mean, oh, I mean. The meat, yeah. the milk, the you know, that's milk. The, it's <laughs> the biblical. That's so, in the so, in essence, yeah, yeah. so in essence, I mean, I think the encouragement all of us would have is, so you preach on a passage. Well, after Eric preaches on a passage, well, read that passage yourself, mm -hmm. like follow up and think, okay, what are some things I also see here in addition to what Eric saw? Because I mean, in 30 minutes, you can never cover everything that God's saying in those verses, right? right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so spending a lot more time in the word mm -hmm. is very important. You know, when I think of uh, kids, I think of the fact that we're born into this world and we're little, um, uh, what's it, works, we're works makers or uh, legalism, like we born in the world with legalism. I mean, your kids want your approval, right? Mm -hmm. 
And sometimes we're seeking out the approval of God by what we do mm. as a function is just like when kids seek out the approval of their parents. And so I think it's, it's healthy to teach kids that graciously we're gonna receive you whether you do something right or you don't and receive you like our father does, our heavenly father does. And so that's really hard to play out because we all want our kids to do amazing things, right? We want everyone to be Michael Jordan and we want them all to have A's and, and do great in school and go to college. And so like, I think in some ways um, we, to, to comment on what you said about review, I think we also have an achievement culture mm-hmm. and that achievement culture we need to fight against if we're gonna clearly declare the gospel. So yeah. uh, let let me move, move on to um, something that, you were talking about a little bit like, and it's kind of a, a theme of Colossians in general, Yeah, um, is considering the idea of Christ in you. Okay, right. let's right. consider that. It's idea. all over the Bible. So mm-hmm. how do we approach this, this concept of identity as a collective, as a church, you know, corporate church, but then also as the individual without uh, succumbing to some sort of tribalism? Like, it's great to say, I go to Brookside, but on the other hand, it's like, no, I belong to Jesus Christ. Christ right. is in me. So how, right. how do you balance that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, unity is not conformity. Um, and and there's, there's conformity all over the place. There's conformity to the culture. I think certain tribes like certain churches can mm. have a conformity nature and that's not all bad, but I think the way that you protect against that is by distinguishing between what unity in Jesus means compared to what conforming to the likeness of the most, the loudest voice or the most dominant personality in the church actually is. And you can see that happen. Like the, you start to dress the certain ways. You start to wear the same kind of shoes. You start talking alike. Um, and that's not always I'm bad. never going to wear Skechers, I was, okay? No, okay? No, I was <laughs> going to say that too, but I didn't want to jump on him. No, so, uh, you guys don't know. You don't know. Before long, you're all going to be wearing Skechers. You're going to love every minute of it. That's funny. Right, because they're really cool. Uh, but okay, it, yeah, yeah. So conformity is not what we're going for. So we're not trying to be conformed around a certain political persuasion or a certain look or a certain genre, anything like that. It's It's when you know Jesus, because the same Holy Spirit is alive and active in each one of us, we begin to sound alike. I'm not talking about use the same words. I'm talking about we start to sound, uh, we start to speak the same heart and mind of God. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, there is something of a, you know, we're from two different backgrounds, two different upbringings, two different cultures, but yet we're saying the same kind of things. We're thinking the same kind of things. We're relating the same kind of way. And that's a result of the spirit of Jesus being alive in each one of us. And that's what creates unity, but it doesn't mean conformity. And I think we have to be careful. So, about so there's a, there's, so there's a balance between the two of those. Has to be. Yeah. David, do you have some I was just thinking, I think the fruit of the spirit is important at play there. Cause I think, you know, if we're, if we're breeding, you know, we may be conformed under some identity or some personality or something, but if we don't have the fruit of the spirit, that it's a pretty good indicator that we're not like founded in, in Christ. And so I just, I think that's an important indicator that I'm always looking at myself of saying, well, do, do I have good fruit in me or what is producing bad fruit in me? And maybe if it's producing bad fruit, maybe it's not of Christ. Well, and, and Eric, I do appreciate in the sermon and also just now you mentioned that it's not, we're not conforming to a political persuasion or a, a viewpoint or anything like that. But I think what's important about it is if, if Christ is in us, we're unified around that, which does mean that we want to conform to the likeness of Christ, you know, in, in our mind and our heart, which is what you're describing with the yeah. behavior. Well, I have a question in response to that. So <laughs> you don't know what I'm going to ask to you. No, I have no um, idea. <laughs> I'm like, What? So there are certain political topics yeah. that 
some would Uh-oh. say are more moral, <laughs> spiritual topics than political. So okay. should a church speak on abortion? Should a church speak on immigration? Should a church speak on public spending? Should a church have a stance on those things? And can you do that while keeping the integrity of scripture alive and staying united in Jesus? Can you do that? Uh, so Eric, you've had conversations with me, which I don't remember if you, I don't remember if you, Remember what I, I said to you about this at one point. Tell me. Do you remember? So, so basically, uh, I just remember uh, I had someone approach me mm-hmm. at one point and say, I don't know how you could ever vote for blank. Like, and they named a political party and they named a person actually. And I wanted, I, I wanted to almost gag because I was thinking they're just as bad as the other person. You're just voting on one issue. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned moral issues. Like if you were to divide the political parties we have in the United States, one is actually probably better at immigration, nicer to immigrants. There's another one that's clearly doesn't, isn't pro-abortion. I'll just put it that way. Um, there's, a, there's other ones that are like, well, we don't want to spend on this or we don't. You go back and forth. And if you look at the mind and the heart of Jesus that's presented in scripture, mm-hmm. you find bits and pieces, but you don't find the whole truth in anything in politics. And I think that's part of the problem is as a church, there are moral issues that we do need to speak up about. Do I do, for example, if someone was gonna say, I'm gonna have an abortion unless you take my baby. I bet you there's a lot of Christians that would take the baby. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's taking a stand. That's a life altering change stand. Mm-hmm. If someone said, um, this person is gonna live on the street and die on the street because they're an immigrant, a lot of Christians in the United States would be like, they shouldn't be here anyways. I hate to say it like that, but the reality is scripture has more verses that are about the aliens and strangers, including the Israelite people, including the Jews, than it does about abortion or life. Mm-hmm. But yet we know God values both of those things. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess to, to, to comment on that is it becomes political when you're, you're taking it past the moral issue of inviting others in, of, of doing what scripture says. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, now you need to go do this, this way, because mm-hmm. I think scripture doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't it, prescribe. It doesn't prescribe. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. It doesn't prescribe. You got to do it this way. Yeah. It does prescribe right and wrong, but it doesn't prescribe like how you're supposed to do something. So how do we deal with the issue of immigration? How do we deal with the issue of abortion? I don't see anywhere in scripture, a specific way to deal with it. And that's specifically dealing with it. That's not politics even. How am I personally, what are my personal convictions about it? But that doesn't mean I'm gonna like have politics be a part of that. Does that make sense? No, it certainly does. And it's interesting because even though I've never spoken on, you know, the immigration issue, whether it's a legal issue or an illegal issue, um, I did talk with somebody after church this last weekend Mm. and his fiance is is being threatened with deportation because she is an illegal immigrant. Mm. How, how do I, what do I tell him? Do I say, well, you know what? She's illegal, so she's going to be deported. Or do I recognize well, Eric, the- Well, Eric, we know you shouldn't do that. Well, I know, but <laughs> yeah. so that's the danger of taking a stance on political things that are also somewhat moral things and ethical things. But because I was talking to him personally, this was a relational conversation, not a political conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I was, so I guess my question is, if silence really is, what do they say? Silence is acceptance? Acceptance. Acceptance, yeah, something like that? Yeah. yeah. Why didn't Jesus ever talk about in the gospels, at least that we know of, the atrocities of the Roman empire? Why don't think he ever talked about those things, especially because those atrocities were directly impacting in a major negative way, the lives of the people he loved so much. 
Because I think he's focused on the spiritual issues. For example, the church can come alongside someone that's had an abortion and have a care group for the maybe the PTSD that they've felt in their life or the immigrant that is constantly feeling like they're gonna have to leave the country yet now is home. They've lived here 10 years and they're still illegal. Those kind of situations happen and that's where the church can come alongside and be a caring, shepherding, kind heart to them. And that's what really what God calls us to do. And that's what you see Jesus do. If you look at how he approaches people in the gospels, how people approach him, I mean, he, he, has, he has a woman that's, that's bleeding from disease, which he literally should not touch. No mm-hmm. good Jew would ever touch this woman. The woman touches him on his cloak, which is inappropriate in their culture. And he receives her, he heals her. And he says, you know, like basically sends her out. And you're like, wait a second. Is that like mm-hmm. an illegal immigrant? Or is that like someone that's had done some sin that we, th- we don't agree yeah. with? But guess what? That's what redemption's for. So there's, there's, we can be Christians and still be involved in taking care of moral issues. But on the other hand, when you're preaching politics, it's saying this person's gonna change that, like the government's gonna change that. We know as Christians, government can't change anything. Jesus Christ changes lives. And so that's yeah, the difference. Yeah. And I think that's a good point that you bring up. And it's, it's all related to this theme of being united in Christ, right? United in love, which Colossians talks about. But when I read Jesus, I see him almost exclusively doing ministry and dealing with these hot topics on a one-on-one personal kind of level. He never gets on stage and starts to preach against the Roman empire or even against the atrocities of that current, you know, Israel mm-hmm. government. Yeah. Um, and there was all kinds of atrocities that happened there too. Um, but he almost always dealt with these things on an individual relational kind of, of, of basis. So I guess that, that leads me, is the church, should the church take a stance publicly on anything political? Or should we say, hey, when you meet me in my office and we talk about this abortion you're considering to have, that's where I'm gonna say, please don't do that because you're gonna kill a living being, you know? Or do I get on stage and say, hey, if you're thinking of having an abortion, don't do it. You're gonna kill a living being. What do I do? Well, I, I, think, I think what the church has done that has harmed a lot of people, mm-hmm. I'll just say it this way, is they've done what you've described. They preach from the stage something that could have been a personal conversation. And in whether by osmosis, there's a lot of shame. If I don't show up to church enough, there's shame. If I'm struggling in my marriage, there's shame. If I'm struggling with addiction, there's shame. And the reality is Jesus never shamed people for what they were going through. He just responded to them. And he was, there was conflict. He did say, mm-hmm. don't be like this, don't be like that. But I think, I think what you're saying is true is it's not that you skim over those issues. Mm-hmm. It's just maybe you approach them from a perspective of, if you'd like to have a conversation about this, Maybe you don't know what the Christian position is. I'd love to meet with you. That's maybe something to say publicly, but, but in reality, like if you came out here and preached what you just described, Eric, I know there's people in here that would never come back and go through Brookside's doors because they would be so ashamed because they may have taken part in something like that or they may have the past. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes what we don't realize is Jesus did approach things relationally, but he also like nurtured those relationships. And so I think that's where the church comes in, that it's not even just you preaching, but it's the, we have to have trust and faith in the whole church and the Holy Spirit using the whole church to come alongside people that maybe are struggling with those things. Is that No, it, I'm, com- I completely agree with you. What I'm, what I'm wondering, David, is, is <clears throat> when Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. that was the greatest platform he had thus far. Right. And that was the most amount of people he was preaching to thus far. Mm-hmm. He could have taken that 
opportunity and <laughs> and set a perspective for or against the Roman Empire, the yeah. government, a certain issue if he wanted to, and change the entire course of history. Yeah. Uh, and yet he chose to take that message and focus it primarily on your relationship with God mm-hmm. and the relationship you have w- around other people. Yeah. Um, and it was hard stuff to hear, it certainly was, but it sounds like the emphasis of Jesus' ministry, especially when he's bringing up these hot topics, mm-hmm. is here's the way that you stay united in love. Yeah. It's by keeping your relationship mm-hmm. with God yeah. uh, integrated with faith and keeping your relationship with people around you integrated by love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when, when, we, when we pull out of the sky a topic that's a hot topic and we harp on it as right and as just as our perspective might be, mm-hmm. It, it, it often prohibits relational equity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Jesus was protecting against. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I totally get it. So <laughs> let me pivot a little bit. I, this is the question I had for David yeah. as I was, I was thinking about what you're preaching on. <laughs> so so Sunday morning, you know, on Sunday mornings, we worship, people are expressive. You get to this sermon. People are sometimes expressive during a sermon. I love when I hear an amen. You just gotta, sometime, Eric, right. you just gotta throw a can I hear an amen in there or something like that? <laughs> See what but, I can uh, do. But so can the embrace of Jesus as a person, because that's a lot of what even the Colossians were teaching, um, lead to us disregarding his teachings. Like, like basically he gets us and forget about his teachings, but he gets us, we, we forget about his teachings in favor of a more experiential you know, faith. Like I'm gonna be expressive and emotional but then when I leave the church building or the worship experience, I don't know anything else. Yeah, I mean, we were just actually talking about this Sunday morning backstage with the team during the service. And we were just talking about how there's so much power in emotion and Mm -hmm. the way that we can be manipulated in our emotion. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the more charismatic kind of approach can be uh, abusive to people in the sense of like, we're going to give you a feeling and you're going to feel this thing, but then you're going to be a, you're going to end up being a terrible person throughout the rest of the week because you're pursuing an experience, a, a feeling, and you're not actually experiencing the gospel. So there is a danger to allowing your emotions to drive your theology, your understanding of Jesus, um, emotions aren't bad. They're really good and we need to feel them. Um, but I don't, I don't know, I guess, what was the, what was the basis of your question? Like, what was your, so, so I think sometimes, um, we can get caught up in the experience rather than what is actually being taught. So Eric can preach on Sunday morning. Yep. And we're like, oh, well, I love the, the worship. Yes. You know how people say that? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm only here oh, for the yeah. preaching. I'm only here for the worship or something like that. And we've talked before a little bit about only being here for the preaching, right? right? And so, but I'm thinking like, what if someone's only here for worship songs? I want to be able to stand up. I like I the band. Good. I want to no, feel like, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Eric comes out and he preaches a sermon that, yeah, it makes you feel good. But at the end, you're like, man, I need to work on some things. Right. It's easier to, I think it's easier to come in and like feel better about yourself and leave than to feel the challenge to work on things. Um, And a lot of times like Sunday, I challenged us to really think about what we're singing, what we're, what we're experiencing because um, so often, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I walk in, I do, I I sing a song that I've sung a hundred times before and it doesn't affect me. Now, do I feel some kind of emotion? Yeah, because that's music. That's like 
it music just draws emotion. And so what I what I need to do is be more aware of what I'm singing and allow that to affect my heart. Um, but there there is a lot of danger to just being emotional and just pursuing an experience because I know there's you know there's there's ways that with technology and and music and the lighting and different things like we can we can honestly manipulate emotion if you want an emotional experience i can create you one tomorrow Mm. with lights and sound and video Mm. and you'll feel something but it won't transform you and so i think it is important to be transformed by the gospel i think that's why we have worship and word and how that kind of works together because there is an element of like the intellect and the emotions working together to have a full picture of who god is and we're made in his image. And so that's a important thing to grasp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to read one of the verses that you preached on on Sunday, because I think this is the the core verse about what we're addressing here. Um, Colossians 1, 28 says, him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim with all wisdom that we may present, or warning, every, sorry, warning everyone, teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I think and you discussed that a little bit on Sunday, but... Um, I just, I just keep going back to that verse. What's the difference between a lack of maturity and maturity? Um, I know that as you age, for example, you know, with kids, they mature to the point where they can understand abstract thoughts or they mature to understand scripture. So, so can you guys maybe describe what's the progression of maturity that maybe you see just big picture, hmm. like in someone that's mature in Christ? Because I think... I think no one mature in Christ is going to say, oh, I'm mature in Christ because then you're not humble and you're not actually mature, right? But maybe there's some, there's some things that you see in someone's spirit and someone's soul about that. Yeah, so I, I think he gives us a clue in the verse that you just read. So he says, uh, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And so what I read from that very part alone is that the wisdom that he's teaching um, is centered in who Jesus is. So when I think of wisdom, I really go back to the book of Proverbs and the wisdom that the father gave his son in writing this letter was very, very practical. It's do not go down that street where the prostitute's house is. Just don't do it. Stay as far mm-hmm. away as you can. Mm-hmm. And so, so much wisdom is based on not the way you think, but just, but also on the way that you live, the way that you behave, the decisions you make. So when I take that into account, I really interpret maturity in Christ as, as making decisions, um, going places, not going other places, mm-hmm. thinking things, saying things, that are, that are all done with Jesus in mind. And so I will show self-control because I've discovered that that is wisdom in Christ. Uh, I will not go to those places because I see that those are unhealthy for me. I will not respond to my wife in that way because I know that that's going to be hurtful to her. And so the more that I get the mind and heart of Jesus, the more I understand what wisdom really is. And now all of a sudden I have this maturity in Christ that protects me from the things in the world that want to dilute my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it can live more and more like him. And I think that's really what the word sanctification means. And that's a word we don't use very often. It's a very churchy word, but it basically means that you're now living your life, the decisions you make, the behavior you have, mm-hmm. those kind of things, um, more and more like Jesus would make those. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, there are certain places Jesus didn't go. Mm-hmm. There's certain things he didn't do, certain things he wouldn't say. Uh, and that was his wisdom coming out in his behavior. And so I think really you can spot that 
by evaluating the decisions a person makes over the course of their life. Are they becoming more and more Jesus-centered or are they mm-hmm. becoming more and more something else-centered? So, yeah. Oh, so I was going to say, I love what he says in verse 29, um, and I have it circled in my Bible, but it says, for this I toil struggling with all his energy. Um, and I think that is a sign of maturity too, is that am I operating in my energy? Am I operating in my power or am I operating in his power? And I think that's a huge sign. Like when you talk about the, the willpower to stay away from things, to have discipline, to have all these things in our own strength, and our own power, we can't do that. But as we mature, his power in us allows us to have the energy to do the hard things that he's talking about here. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's a, even a gauge of, of maturity is, am I trying to do this in my own strength or am I totally okay just operating in, in his power. So, so what is that for the people who are listening to this and not really sure what that actually means? What does it look like to operate mm. struggle and, and to it, live wisely in his power? Well, I think a lot of times, I mean, in our culture, we can say like, I want that thing and we get it. Like I get it tomorrow. Like I'll go, I'll go get it. But maybe that thing for me, like for me, like in this position, being a worship pastor, this is something that, I, I felt God calling me to since I was in middle school. And I could have got out of high school, gone and pursued it, done the thing. But God had a different plan and he led me through some different seasons of different jobs, of different roles within the church. And then I was able to then step into something because it was by his power that he brought me there. I don't think I would be where I am today if I would have just rushed into that seat because it was, that's what God called me to do. Did I want that? Yes. But now I recognize now on the other side of it, I'm like, oh, he was actually maturing me in the process to be patient and understand like what his will is for me. So there's almost a shift. I think of it as instant gratification to eternal gratification. Like you're switching to what God is calling you to be rather than just saying, oh, I need this now. Like I see that progression in all that Paul writes, but especially here, I mean, it's clearly not him in his power that yeah. he's doing this. I, I think sometimes the one, one thing that I was thinking about as you were saying that, many times we pray for things mm-hmm. that we can accomplish. Mm-hmm. We don't pray for things that only God can accomplish. Yeah. And I think that's where we get lost in like his power versus our power. Because honestly, if the vision for the church is all all what we can do based on our capacity, then God's not working here. (laughs) Like God has to show up for us to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. That's when you have these audacious audacious dreams. Audacious. 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 Well, I think think when, when you really look at what Paul is doing in this letter, it says he's warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And he says, for that I, I'm toiling and I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. And that's what he needs uh, God's energy to work in yeah. him to do. And I thought if I put myself in Paul's shoes and I'm writing this letter, there are certain fears and insecurities mm-hmm. and uncertainties that I have to somehow get over in order to write this letter. And if I'm mm-hmm. gonna stand in a synagogue um, full of mm-hmm. people who are considering Jesus and those who are anti-Jesus, I got to have some courage somewhere to be able to speak the truth of the gospel. And so I think part of what it means is to operate in his energy is that there is something of a power to overcome your fear mm. 
your mm-hmm. insecurity, your uncertainties, mm-hmm. and and do what God's asking you to do. And I think, I mean, I'd like to be bold enough to say that I I, I feel like that's true for me every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm naturally a, an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to get on a stage as an introvert and speak truth that I know a portion of the audience, whether they're online or in person, um, is going to disagree with or be confused with or mm-hmm. uh, send me an email about. Uh, then, <laughs> then to be honest with you, I need something else yeah. to get over my insecurities. Yeah, absolutely. I need something else to get over my fear of reprisal because mm-hmm. I'm kind of a people pleaser mm-hmm. and I like it when people like me and agree with me. Mm-hmm. And that's almost never the case weekend to weekend. Mm-hmm. And so I have to have some extra energy uh, from the Holy Spirit to, to get over those insecurities and fears. And, and, and Eric, I would say, you use the word people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I think most people are. Mm-hmm. We want others to be happy, right? Is it, that's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. We wanna care for other people. And so um, I think uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a couple things that I was thinking about that we can kind of close with mm-hmm. is, is this idea of spiritual maturity. We touched on it a little bit. Um, but also the idea that um, we need to be discipled. You know, like a lot of what you shared Sunday, if someone said for the first time on Sunday, like I'm gonna pray to receive Christ as my Lord and savior, like what's that next step in discipleship? So how do we create discipleship without fostering some sort of dependency too, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I always have to go to so-and-so. I always have to go to so-and-so. When the reality is we also have God's word right in front of us. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm that, saying? That's a good question. So I would say it's interesting. There seems to be this pattern, especially in the gospels and in the New Testament, where as, so, as soon as somebody accepts Jesus as Lord and savior, the next thing they do is get baptized. Mm-hmm. And they're not invited to a Bible study. I'm sure they were at some point, but at least progressively, it was get saved, get baptized, and then be a part of the church. Um, and I feel like there's value in that far more than simply a representation of your faith. Um, mm-hmm. John Wesley says that baptism is a means of grace. And I really, I think that there's something to that. And by means of grace, what I mean is that when you take a step of faith in the act of baptism and decide to go public with your faith, especially in an environment that could be hostile to that, especially in an environment where people are like, I don't, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you surrendering yourself to a Jesus that's no longer here? You know, mm. Then that creates all kinds of insecurity and fear too. So the very act of being baptized requires the energy from the father for you to make that decision. And so mm-hmm. I would say if somebody's, I'm, I'm brand new follower of Jesus, what's my next step? Get baptized. Yeah. And I think you will be shocked at some of the extra energy that is injected into you, spiritually speaking, uh, to live the Christian life. Well, and even what you're saying, yeah. that's the progression in the Great Commission. It never goes, get saved, get discipled. It says, get saved, get baptized, get discipled. Like that's the order. It's make <laughs> disciples. Yeah, it's make disciples. So it, there, there's an order to it. Um, what, would, what would either one of you like say, or maybe both of you have thoughts on this. What would you say to someone that's like, okay, I'm a new believer. I've gotten baptized. I'm coming to church, but I haven't really had spiritual conversations with any other believers. Yeah, yeah. So, I, would, I would go to really my first take home and that is to schedule your stability. If you're a brand new believer, what you need is stability. 
Because right now you're just like, what decision did I make? And how's that going to affect my life? You need stability in your life. And I think the best way to really start implementing that is by scheduling it. So really that's a question I was going to ask you before we ended. I'm curious, what are some of the things that you guys do that are scheduled in your routine, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, or whatever, that helps maintain your stability and growth? In Jesus, and I think that's a. I think we can really give people listening an yeah. example of maybe how to start. Mm-hmm. If if they're like, I am new to faith, I'm getting baptized on Easter. It's coming, yeah. right? But now, how do I really start mm-hmm. to to establish that foundation? Well, and see, I can speak both generally and specifically because yeah. there's no point in my life where I've not scheduled something and didn't. It requires discipline. I guess is the basic way I'm saying it. So, like, if I if I schedule something, it's going to happen. Um, David is multiplying his kids. So he has more than me at this point. But I was going to say with four kids, if I don't put something on the calendar, it never happens. And sometimes it's on the calendar and it doesn't happen. So I don't want to be discouraging to people, but the reality is, you know, my calendar speaks from 6 a.m. till 9, 10 at night sometimes, most of the time. And so blocking things out, mm. people feel it's not as, it doesn't feel as right. Right to schedule your stability with Christ and schedule time in the word or schedule time in prayer. But if I don't, it won't happen. So I have to do that. And so um, for me, it's always uh, unique. So like, I like, I like spending time in solitude, but I never get solitude at my house. So I have to go for a walk or I have to go somewhere else or I have to be somewhere in nature. Um, thankfully where I live, I can take a walk and I have nature right there. It's great. Um, I think, I think, everyone needs to find different ways that they connect with God in that sense. That's something that maybe is a little bit off the traditional Bible reading prayer. This is what we do. So if somebody's a new believer, start by saying, I'm going to schedule five minutes. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to spend that time, not listening to the radio in the car or making phone calls, but on the way to work, I'm going to spend time, just five minutes, just praying a prayer. And it might be the most awkward prayer yeah. you've ever heard. It's, it's, it's really it's short. Fun. You got to start somewhere. So, yeah. you, But you have to think like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you, the moment you turn on the radio, it's going to stop you from praying. So you got you to be very intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of it is, I think, I think focus less on how much, mm-hmm. but, but produce the discipline and the endurance to just say, I'm just going to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like, I don't care if it's five minutes today, I'm going to do it. And I'm so glad you said that because inevitably, I still deal with this today. You, you, you're like, oh man, I, my mind wandered and now I was supposed to be praying, you know? Or I have my Bible open in front of me, but man, my mind was a mile away. And did I even read three sentences? So, you know- you, <laughs> I don't remember what I just read. Yeah. Inevitably, they're going to be like, well, man, that was a failure. Mm-hmm. And, and I would encourage them not to be discouraged, mm-hmm. but just continue the consistent yeah. discipline of scheduling that. Yeah, for me, it's again. just scheduling reminders to be with Jesus. Um, mm-hmm because I have the same thing. Like my ideal world is like, I was telling you this morning, is like two hours in silence. Just me, just silence, just put me there. But that's not realistic. Yeah, pretty right? sure Katie's not gonna be okay yeah, with that. So, <laughs> so like some of those things is scheduling it. So it's, it may be waking up 30 minutes earlier. It may be staying up 30 minutes later and it may be different each day, depending on what your day looks like. I know for me, something that I've had to implement is like, Solitude is really important to me. Um, and so I have to once a month take a solitude day. And it's not like a, it's not a day off. It's not a, it's not just like sit around, do nothing. It's like an intentional, like pursuing to be with Jesus. Um, and even practically like for families, like something that we've started and we're not, 
we're not perfect at it and we're learning how to do this, but we've started a Sabbath. And so from Friday breakfast to Saturday breakfast, it's Sabbath for us. Um, and what that looks like is different week to week, but it's, it's I was waiting for the unleavened bread. So that's why well, I mean, <laughs> we do a lot of sourdough. So <laughs> okay, it is okay. almost pretty much there. Um, <laughs> um, but, but it, it is, it, it's not perfect, but what it speaks to is the point of scheduling it on your calendar, because mm-hmm. what may happen is there's, there's a day when there's a month where I can't have a day of solitude but it's constantly reminding me to be with Jesus. And that's the mm-hmm. goal. It's not necessarily the, the practice. So whatever it is, just like pursue to be in I, I mean, you can't, have, Eric, I mean, back to what you started with though, you can't have a relationship with someone you don't spend time with, right? Right. I mean, and you have to spend time with Jesus, whether that's I'm reading verses, I'm responding. One of the things we don't do well is listening to God. Mm-hmm. We don't sit there and listen. So like I encourage anybody, spend five minutes in solitude in silence mm-hmm. and you'll start realizing how hard that is, but then you'll find yourself loving it even more. Mm-hmm. You know, sh- show off parks near here. You know, we walked through there. We had a thing last fall with pastors and we we're walking through there in silence and in solitude, just, just walking around and looking at nature and, and praying and thinking about what God's teaching us. And I'm thinking, wow, that was so refreshing. And I never thought it would be like doing stuff like that yeah. just made no sense. When they said Shof Park, I was like, that doesn't seem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, <laughs> right. you, you found a good spot where there isn't a lot of people, <laughs> right? So, but, but I think that's, I think yeah. that's important is, is just little steps. And it's like flexing a muscle, right? I mean, when you flex a muscle, mm-hmm. eventually when you're lifting bigger weights because your body response to it, but you need some recovery time too. Yep. So you can't just go out there and if someone's like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in one month. Yeah, that's right. This has like, to be, this has to be catered to you and the situation in life you're in. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it might be that you say, Hey, the next thing I need to schedule is, is really to be a part of a small group, a community mm-hmm. life group. Yeah. Because I mean, Paul talks about it. I mean, the way that you begin to protect yourself from the delusion of these plausible arguments is by being united in love with yep. the church. And so if you're not united uh, if you're not having any relationships with anybody in the church, it's really hard to be united with the church. Um, and so I would, that's one thing to do. Schedule time in prayer, schedule time in Bible reading, schedule time in a community life group, schedule your baptism for Easter, you know, so that that can be a public display. So, and, and it's, it's, could be different for everybody. It's just worth a conversation. And I think we'd be willing to help people if they wanted to know what they yeah. could do. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's it for this week, right, guys? I am so thankful that you watched here with us. We hope that this is both practical. Um, you can apply um, what we're talking about. And we're so thankful that we're in a series on Colossians because you can read ahead in the book and see what Eric's going to preach on and get excited about that as well. So maybe you have questions for us or something you can comment on. We'd love for you to comment below um, and talk to us and interact um, with Church Unscripted. So hit the notification bell. Um, make sure you subscribe and so that we can see you every week um, listen to this and we'll have conversations about theology about God about parenting family marriage relationships everything so we're thankful you're with us and we'll see you next week